Two for Fox 8, my name is Pete Selby and I've just broken the stand actually that the mic goes on to so it's just resting very very gently um, it won't put up with any you know kind of pushing or shoving or hard tackle so it won't like to play against the Leicester boys because we've gone and won a couple of games in tremendous style with again aggressive football all action, rock and roll football I think was uh, mentioned in by other teams a few years ago well it's rock and roll football at the moment for Leicester. Yes, two games. Let's not get carried away. Actually, no, scrap that. Let's get carried away, Rob. We're going to win everything. This is the cheeriest introduction you've done to for Fox 8 podcast, certainly in 2023, probably since that run of form we went on before the World Cup. And I think that mirrors the fact that Leicester's on-pitch fortunes are also much more positive. So we're going to have a lovely hour of chatting about goals and good players and optimism and looking up the table rather than down aren't we absolutely there will be the var section i'm looking forward to it rob i'm looking forward to it i'm wound up like a spring i'm ready i'm ready to to go on that um i'm not going to introduce that you rob you're going to have to then say right this is the var section and then just just kind of like just sit back for five minutes um now, when that happens in the pod, is up to you, Rob. So, like, I won't do it straight away because if people don't want to hear, they can just say, right, fast forward the next five minutes. But, um, yeah, so you 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 can signify when, when I'm allowed to then just go mad. And then I'll go downstairs and make a cup of tea and uh, go and hang the washing out and come back upstairs to the microphone in about 20 minutes, yeah? Yeah, I mean, you can all pretty much guess what, what I'm going to say pretty much about it. But, uh, but there we go. Anyway, yeah, Leicester, I mean... First of all, what it's, it was very obvious what what Brendan was saying over the last say uh, eighteen months, a year or so, saying about the fact that we need a freshen up of of players, and we all knew that, and we knew that Leicester. I was trying to explain to um, to people in in the studio yesterday. Um, I said you, you kind of forget very quickly in football about how good certain players are, uh, sometimes how poor certain players are but also about clubs and the way that they can play. And so I'm the only Leicester fan there. And and I made the comment of, because there's a few Spurs fans, and I says, yes, Tottenham weren't really at it, but I says Leicester really dominated that game and we were the we won that game rather than Tottenham lose it by, by far, by a million miles. And, and then I uttered the words of, when Leicester get it right, especially at the King Power... They can beat anyone. And a few people scoffed at that. I went, well, you've just seen the last three or four years, you know, or you've got to go back further, six, seven years. Leicester on their day. Now, any, any club can can claim this, but I don't think so. I, I, but when Leicester get it right, they can beat anyone. And they just needed that impetus of fresh legs, fresh ideas, fresh way of playing. Um 
people trying to prove themselves, maybe people not sitting back on either past glories or coasting, waiting for something like this. You can argue certain players not really benefiting or, or to their detriment of their performance by being alongside lesser players, so having to cover them and not receiving the ball at the right time, etc. All these contribute in the Premier League, fine margins, etc., to a side playing poorly. Also, you, you still look at the goalkeeper, obviously, as well. So, all that rolled in one. It's been tremendous. And obviously, we didn't do the podcast last week. And I was thinking, oh, you know, after a brilliant performance, it's a shame, really. But now we've got this, and we can talk about these two games kind of in one, which is fantastic because of what happened, scoring four goals in both games. And we can go through player to player. And we're not going to put them on the top altar of the church and shine a light on them and, and, and call them God. But also, we're going to... Why not highlight their plus points and their best points instead of doing the opposite of what we've been doing in recent weeks for obvious reasons? Um, I, I just think, Rob, we, we, we just go through the team, just go through player to player rather than kind of an overall... Well, I suppose we can talk overall, but why not just start player to player? Um, and I think it's probably best to start with this mad... Left back we've got because I I'd, hats off to the scouting team because he was very highly thought of right very highly thought of and I'd imagine a lot of clubs were looking at him etc I had no idea he was going to be like this not in his quality of football but upstairs I mean the guy's a madman let's get it right he's a madman in a really good way and he's a very very accomplished footballer and in th- in fact we'll talk about him and Barnes at the same time because. The upturn in Harvey Barnes in these couple of games has been quite remarkable, really. It has to be down to the fact that he's got an excellent fullback alongside him for the majority of the game because he loves to get forward. Strong tackling. You can imagine the, the, the chat. He's probably been spoken to or shouted at by Christiansen all game. What to do, where to go and all this. And I just look at Harvey Barnes now and you can see... He's absolutely loving this guy behind him and alongside him and making overlapping runs. He's loving being told what to do, where to go, being shouted at. And then he can tell him as well. I, I just, You look at Barnes and he's thoroughly enjoying playing with Christiansen on the left. What a, what a two games he's had. Yeah, he's looked very, very good, hasn't he? It's, it was obviously an area of weakness with uh, Ricardo being out, Justin being out. So the only left back we had was Luke Thomas. And, and if you think about the fact that they're similar in age, Thomas and Christiansen, but you watch even from the two games that we've seen Christiansen play in a Leicester shirt in the Premier League, there are there are miles miles apart. Luke Thomas is a, is a decent player. He's, he's fine. He's, he's all right for cover. We've said on previous podcasts that if you get Ricardo and Justin back to a decent level and Christiansen settles in, as he has done, then it's probably an opportunity in the summer to look for uh, a loan move for Luke Thomas to sort of bulk him out a bit, get himself some some proper senior football because I think his two areas, well, all right, three areas of weakness. This is going to sound like a bit of a Luke Thomas bashing, but it's it's quite easy to do when you're looking at Christiansen and the difference between them. You've spoken about the the head on Christiansen's shoulders. Still a very young footballer, but much more switched on than Thomas, in my opinion, which makes him... Uh, which makes him able to make better decisions with and without the ball. So positioning-wise, he's better. The, the, the balls that he's giving to Barnes are better, and he's giving him more options. 
you know, Luke Thomas, whenever he got the ball, you would think, right, he's literally going to do one of two things. It's either going to be a ball into Barnes' feet with his back to goal on the halfway line, which he does not want, or he's going to lose the ball or get tackled or miscontrol it. You know, he's going to make a mistake or he's going to play a, a, a difficult pass. Uh, but, but this was usually in the Premier League because it's under he's under so much pressure and it's, it's the intensity of it. And... Uh, yeah, also the the sort of relationship, like you say, they seem to have struck it up straight away. But Christensen's strong in the tackle as well, which I don't think Luke Thomas has in his game at the moment. So he's just like a bigger, better left back. And that I think that has been a big factor in, in Barnes' upturning form. I think somebody that we'll talk about in a few moments' time, James Madison, has a, has a massive role to play in that as well. But yeah, Christensen is a very strong promising start and you know Rogers when when he signed him said this is one for the future uh, not necessarily discounting him for right now but saying that this is a sort of long-term uh, signing one that can sort of continue to grow with the club and you know if, if he stays and gets stays at this level or gets even better over the next three or four years then we've got a proper player on our hands you can smell the bigger clubs looking at him already you know you can that the scouts would be lined up looking at this guy maybe in the summer going, right, here we go. This is a guy, you look at, say, what Brighton have been doing, buying players and then they've been sold because the players end up wanting to go for big money. Kukurea, for example. If clubs then turn around in the summer and say, here's 70 million quid for Christensen, it's, it's more than likely going to go. Um just an, a, a very, very impressive two games. He, he really is. And it's his personality, the way he celebrates tackles. So much for the cause, wanting to... Yes, of course he wants to prove himself, but that's the aggression that we've needed. And then you spread across the back line and you've got Harry Suter, who's done okay. He's been kind of the player we thought. He's, because of his size and because of the way he plays... the you look at, say, Harry Maguire. We mentioned him before when he was uh, bought. Very, very similar in a way. And he's been fine. And But the one thing with him is Volt Vast then has helped out Amati so much, but you can almost see a little bit more of Volt kind of his shoulders going down, going, right, okay, different player alongside me. I can rely on him maybe slightly more. And... He's been very good for these last two games, and he's been he's been very good anyway. But I like the reaction of Vast to Suter. That was the issue with me. We know Suter was going to be a real hit or miss, and it's still early days, and he's going to be caught for pace and etc. and and that sort of thing, like say Maguire was, and like a lot of defenders can be. But um, just encouraging because of the style of footballers we have ahead of him in the team, um, he is obviously completely different. And we've seen over the years having a not clumbersome is 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 not to his detriment just because of his size, but having that sort of defender is not necessarily a bad thing. Hooth, Matt Elliott, you know all the ones from the from the nineties, but having that sort of player just to give it maybe the big heave ho, get your head on the end of a that sort of defender is not the worst thing in the world. Vass again, very good, and to make a tackle in which then sets up a goal directly, and not just any old tackle, but a crunching challenge like he did against Tottenham, that is some tackle. That really is some tackle. 
for a defender who's on a yellow card as well to do that is is exceptional and should not be overlooked. No, he shouldn't be overlooked because I think what we're doing here in, in having this conversation is a very similar one to the impact that he had as the only signing really of the of the summer transfer window and and the impact that had instantly on the rest of the team. Now it wasn't entirely down to to him being a world-class player and coming in and completely changing the team. But what it did, it just injected a bit of energy into the training group. It it sort of shook a few people up. He, he came and he said straight away, look, I'm the kind of player that's going to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and I'm, I'm very vocal. I like to think I'm a leader on the pitch, even though he's sort of early to mid-20s. Uh, and he made a massive difference. And that's exactly what's happened with these uh, new signings in the January transfer window. It's it's completely transformed the the mood and the dynamic. Even though I wouldn't say that Christiansen, Suter, and Tete have or uh, any of them have had like a world class performance yet, where it's completely changed the game and they've won games single handedly. It's not happened like that. They've injected fresh impetus into the group, and oh, so Suter signing has, as you said, reinvigorated Fass a little bit because you know. We, I think we've all played, or those listening who've played any kind of sport to, to any kind of level, you're always looking around the team that you're playing in and you're thinking, right, we've got a potential weak link there. And you're thinking, I'm going to have to creep over a couple of steps or I'm constantly thinking or trying to second guess what this fella's going to do. And therefore, I'm not totally secure in my own game. I can recall it happening to to me on a... Saturday morning playing in the local Sheffield League our right back was getting absolutely rinsed by this winger every single time to the point where I've almost split myself as a centre-back I've come too far apart from my partner to go across to sort of double up with this right back because he's absolutely scared uh you know I won't, I won't say the rest of the phrase but you know he's very scared of the winger and I'm across there and then the next thing you know one pass later, the ball through balls coming through the gap that I should have been covering, but I wasn't because I'm going over to sort of support the the player that was having a rough time of it. And you know, Daniel Amati had a ball tread or a missed tackle or missed pass in him pretty much every game for all his sort of six out of ten everywhere else. So Fast would have been thinking about that. Now he's got Suter who. I mean, you could argue that he could have sorted his feet out a bit quicker for the own goal against Aston Villa, but I know he hadn't played a lot of football uh, in the previous few weeks. He's had a bit of a hip injury of, of some sort, so he wouldn't have been totally up to speed with the game. I was not surprised to see him in the starting lineup for that, but but I thought maybe he might be given an extra game um, off to sort of get through some trading and get some sharpness back. So he probably could have sorted his feet out for that. You're probably going to say that a few more times about him this season. He could have done this a little bit faster. But what he does do, he does very effectively. It's a, obviously a, a, an obvious strength, the um, the the height, the aerial ability. But he looks like he doesn't mind a tackle either. Big lad puts himself about. And if he has got the ball, I'm not saying he's going to pr- produce defence-splitting passes, but he seems... Like he's reasonably composed on it. And then if you think you've got Castagna or, or Ricardo coming back in in the next few weeks at right back, you've got Christiansen who seems to use the ball very well at left back. We know Fast loves driving into the midfield with the ball. You don't need all four of your defenders to be ball players. 
as long as Suters can make sure, make sure that ball goes to another blue shirt, not bothered. And then he does his job. He pro- pro- provides six inches more of height than Amati. So I've, I think it's a partnership that seems to be looking pretty good so far and, and one that brings the best out of out of each other. Yeah, and you move over to the other side and, and Castagna's been fine. I mean, it was nearly a very comical own goal whose fault it was between him and Ward, only they will really know. But um, the substitute in the 88th minute against Tottenham with Ricardo Pereira coming on, what you're looking forward to then of Pereira and and then Tete ahead of him, that's very exciting. Very, very exciting. And we await with bated breath to see what happens with those two once Pereira's up to speed and, and possibly in the team. Castagna's been very good this season in, in a very poor season overall for the club really he's been actually one of the better players at uh, at Leicester but as we move forward into the the midfield there was no Yuri Tillemans in the game against uh, Tottenham which was a, a big disappointment beforehand seeing him with the uh, was it calf injury wasn't it and then obviously they're going to then put in because they didn't play against Villa with that kind of anchor role uh, holding midfielder you had your you know your Jusby Hall Madison and Tielemans midfield three. Um, but then they put Nampolese Mendy in against Tottenham. And then he does that. And I know the goal was the, an amazing goal, but his all-round performance was was fantastic. He was excellent. Well, to get the ball away a couple of times, but he was really, really good. And then you have... What was only can be only described as a stunning goal. What his second goal of his career, first for Leicester after nearly hundred games, or if you count substitute, well over hundred. It's um, incredible strike, really. Uh, and again, does a player like that hit the ball like that? Does he actually take the shot without that bit of confidence, without that bit of uh, you know, go on, do it, why not? You know, that sort of attitude. Would it happen a few weeks ago? Probably not, but. Uh, a stunning goal uh, to get us back in the game. Mendy's great, isn't he? I, I can put him in the same conversation as Kelechi Iheanacho because both of those are players that Brendan Rodgers will usually only play if he's got no other choice. You know, if he's got no other centre, central midfield options, he's going to pick Mendy. But if he's got all his central midfielders available, he's pretty much bottom of the pile. Same for the strikers. We've seen it this season. It's been Vardy or Daka, Daka or Vardy. Ianacho comes on off the bench or gets put into a position that's not necessarily his strongest. You know, he's he's bottom of the pile when all of the strikers are available. Yet this time, they've both started a game with other players available and they have both proven why they are part of this Leicester City squad and they've both proven their quality. You know, Mendy, we, we talk about it quite often, the fact that he got into the the. African Cup of Nations team of the tournament played unbelievably well to to win it with Senegal and Iheanacho scores goals whenever he's in the team you know I, I can see why Iheanacho doesn't always fit into the into the manager's thoughts because he's not the most consistent of player in terms of what you get out of him around the goals you know he's not he's not the kind of player that has a full impact on the game for the 70-odd minutes that he's usually on, if he starts, or 20 if he comes on. But he scores goals. 
his, rec- his goal-scoring record, when you compare it to the amount of starts that he's had, is ridiculous at Leicester. Even worse, even even more astounding when you look at the the FA Cup in particular. But he starts through the middle. He scores goals, gets assists. Mendy starts in the centre of midfield. You know the, the goals is well. It will be the best goal he ever scores of his career because he's only scored two. I haven't seen the other one. I don't know. Uh, I think it was in twenty fifteen or something. Mad, like nearly eight years ago. But he's he's had a great game in the engine room. I mean, we'll probably gloss over Dewsbury Hall because he gives you what he gives you game in, game out. A lot of dynamism, a, a good balance if you're playing sort of more like a three in the centre of midfield down down the left-hand side. Um, I think he'll he's still got a bit to learn about his use of the ball in the final third, but you get what you would expect from a Leicester lad in the centre of midfield playing for his hometown club. And you just get... You get full effort every game you get him living and breathing every single sort of emotion of the Leicester fans in the game and and he's integral to that to that midfield but yeah Mendy Mendy was great the goal was you see how he celebrated but see how everybody else celebrated with him and I appreciated Roger's comments after the game saying look Mendy is one of those guys you just need in your squad because he trains really well day in day out despite the fact of what I said a moment ago about the fact that he he understands, for whatever reason, he's not always going to be your first choice central midfielder. Yet you could see what it meant to him and to the players uh, that went and celebrated the goal with him. Uh, and obviously, it came at a great time in in the match as well. But yeah, fantastic p- performance in in the centre of midfield. And and if you're looking at the upcoming fixtures and you're looking at how well Leicester are playing, and Mendy was the only change from the victory over Villa, and that was an enforced one for, uh, in, in for Tielemans. You've got a strong argument there for for starting this the same eleven uh, against United. You really do. It's um, it's going to be a very interesting decision. Which three do you go for? Because you're not dropping Dewsbury Hall. You're not dropping Madison. And against United, you would say a Mendy, especially on on this form, would be ideal. Or even a Wilfred Ndidi. But surely Yuri Tillemans then comes into the side because you're not going to rest him. Do you then? But then you look at United and and you think, well, if they're missing, say Casemiro, do who's going to be the anchor of their midfield? Do you take the game to United and say, well, we can then play Yuri Tillemans, have Dewsbury Hall running around like a blue ass fly trying to get the ball up everyone, have maybe Tillemans dropping a bit further deep? Do do you play that or do you have a Mendy to sit on, say a Fernandez? It's um, it's a very interesting decision that's going to be made. Uh, yeah, Dewsbury Hall, just a just a wrecking ball, quite erratic at times, but you, you needed that. You needed that disruptive player in the middle of the park. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of player he develops into, whether he's going to be just that genuine box-to-box player just all over the place. Um, that disruptor, the kind of a, not liking him to the, the style of player, but, you know, in, in terms of his effort and, and position, you know, a, a Robbie Savage in theory, you know, going around, just following the ball, trying to win the ball back at all points in time and then the other two players in midfield if you're playing that formation or you can obviously play with a five but the other two the the Lennon and Nizit being you know the kind of the anchor player the creative player and um, alongside him just here there and everywhere or will he be more attacking will he turn into a sitting player we'll we'll wait and see we'll find out in the future Um, and in a midfield 
James Madison, who, well, he's he's been fantastic, hasn't he? He's just grown so much as a player. And I think we've, we've now kind of almost moved on with that kind of description of Madison. You know, oh, it's not the player he was, say, two years ago, easily pushed off the ball and gave the ball away. I was always saying about he needed to make those 10-yard passes rather than um, just those long passes or trying to make the Hollywood or the through, through ball all the time. Um, just try and keep the ball on 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 occasion, you know, rather do the safe thing better rather than the uh, the awkward and the spectacular. But um, I, I just think we put that conversation to bed now. I think now we're just going to talk about James Madison as being, A, the guy who led the team out. And also, you would say now, I would, you, you, obviously a few years ago, it was Vardy. I then easily would have said Yuri Tillemans, the most talented player at the club, easily the best player at the football club. I think probably now that's been overtaken really by James Madison, I think. And no fault of Yuri Tillemans, not to his detriment, not that he's gone backwards at all. I think James Madison is the most important player at the football club now. We've just gone and beat Spurs 4-1 without Yuri Tillemans. Um, without James Madison, this team is half of what it can be in all areas. Holding the ball up, keeping the ball, turning, passing the ball out wide, scoring goals... Linking play with the centre forward, especially his relationship with Kelechi and Acho, especially being able to easily, quickly pass the ball out wide to a Tete and to a Barnes, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast. It's he is absolutely vital for this side. We need him to stay fit and to be playing well to pick up results. And when it comes to the summer, we'll jump those fences when we get there. Um He's playing so well. He's playing the best football of his career by a, a long, long way. Very good once again. Very calm. And quite, again, a quietly excellent finish as well for his goal. He, I, I was, I watched the replay a few times really closely just to see whether he scuffed it because it went into the bottom left corner with his right foot and it could have maybe looked like he was going to go across the goalkeeper or maybe just slightly higher and ends up scuffing it in the bottom left corner. But no, there was that yard or just less than that gap between Fraser Forster and then that near post. And he slotted it in really, really well. Um, yeah, Madison just playing the best football of his career. And long may it continue because uh, we need him. At this point in time, we, we desperately, desperately need him to carry on because uh, he's the guy who can win Leicester games. Without him, they're just half the team, aren't they? Yeah, and I'd say in terms of somebody reasonably comparable in terms of the impact that they have on the game and how much you miss them when they're not there, we're talking around the kind of level of Riyad Mahrez, I think, at the moment, in terms of how much he stands out compared to the rest of the Leicester team, in terms of how much of an impact he has, and in terms of somebody that could comfortably go to one of those elite teams and still have that kind of impact. I know Mares didn't necessarily initially at City, but he's really, he's grown to an extra, extra level, as you have to if you want to play for one of those big teams. And everything that Leicester fans have ever asked of James Madison, he has delivered that next step. Even if you're talking last season when he was in some great runs of form, but then when he got an, an injury, it would sometimes take him five, six, seven games to get back up to speed in terms of dealing with the intensity of the Premier League, but also in terms of the sharpness of his turns and the you know, the accuracy of his passing and finishing. Whereas he's come back from injury now over the last few weeks and he's got 
right back up to that level that he was at um, that earned him a, a call up to the World Cup squad. So he is absolutely integral to this team. And I tell you what makes a massive difference as well, having a right winger who's good enough to play on the right wing for 90 minutes to allow Madison to play in that central position. Because every time he picked the ball up against Spurs in particular, he already was turning and was almost all already either at least planning, if not executing, a forward pass right at the at the defence. Whereas we've, we haven't got another midfielder like that. You can play um, Dennis Pratt further forward. You can play Jewsbury Hall further forward. You can play Yuri Tillemans further forward. There's very few players in the Premier League that have got that level of ability that James Madison has got in those areas in terms of being able to turn in a tight space quite often away from players now. That was that was sometimes uh, one of the things that we highlighted about his game that he could uh, and needed to improve was if he had somebody on his back, he wouldn't be able to get away from that situation. He'd either be out-muscled or he'd be looking for a foul that wasn't wasn't coming. Whereas now he's, he's toughened up, he takes the hits, he gets away from them more often than not. His decision-making is as good as it has ever been. Technically, he's, he's better than he's ever been, and, and it's just a real joy to watch. And I don't think it's a coincidence, I'm certain it's not a coincidence, that, that he's returned to the starting lineup um alongside these new signings, and all of that has contributed to really galvanising the team because he makes a huge difference. He... I think the reason partly that Iheanacho maybe hasn't played in that forward role is because there hasn't been that link. And then Iheanacho's decided he's going to be that link. But then your problem when we were unbalanced, when we were playing somebody like Madison or Pratt down the right-hand side was that at least on one side, you've not got a player that's willing to go beyond the forward and and beyond the opposition's defence. And that meant if Iheanacho was coming in deep, well, the reason that Dakar and Vardy were in the team ahead of him was because they are the one that has to go beyond. But actually, now Iheanacho and Madison can come in and interlink and you've got a left-footed winger on the right and a right-footed winger on the left, both of whom have got the pace and the desire to run in behind their fullbacks. And all of a sudden, it opens up a lot more opportunity for for keeping the ball in, in the final third, but also for playing those killer passes. Whereas before, if you were getting Vardy or Dakar to try and pin the centre-backs, you were getting the ball into their feet and there was nothing they could do other than lay it back to whoever they could see if they were lucky enough. And the wingers weren't necessarily hugely involved. Just Madison links everything together. So I think a key part of that, if we move on to the to the next player naturally in this conversation in Tete, he is absolutely vital to getting the best out of Madison because he, from what I've seen so far, which is obviously not a lot, he's only featured in a few games since he signed, but he looks like he can vary his game to complement not only the, hit the players that are, that are around him, but also he can he can target a defence's weaknesses. So, you know, we've seen him hugging the touchline, getting chalk on his boots, as, as you would say um, in the olden days, you know, proper old-fashioned winger out there. But he's also a modern winger because it wasn't very common with the old-fashioned wingers for them to be the opposite foot on the opposite side. So he can very easily drift in. And if Castagna wants to go beyond him, great. And I think that it's a combination that you mentioned earlier with Ricardo as well. He loves to get forward on the outside. 
And if you add him into the mix, I think that makes Teti even more dangerous because he can then drift inside on his left foot. He's no no stranger and he's not against hard work. We've seen him get up and down that wing already which was probably a question mark that, that I certainly had. Would he be would he be willing and able to do that work? Yes, he is. And he's made a massive difference already. So you get you keep him fit, that keeps Madison in the middle. You keep him fit, you got Barnes on the left. That that attacking midfield three, as we've seen in the last two games, eight goals, is just is 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 a frightening one. And it's one, as you said, right at the top of the show that could beat anybody and score goals against anybody on their day. Yeah, Tete's been very good. I mean, he didn't have the greatest game maybe against Spurs in his own performance, but it's the balance he has to the side. It's it's a dangerous mixture when you have a side so well balanced as you described, having the two wingers who like to cut in and use their, say, other foot. And then you have the, the link guy in the middle in Madison with Ian Acho, I would count them both roughly in the same position, really. Ian Acho obviously just slightly ahead. The balance is very, very good. But then you throw in the unpredictable nature of all of the players, really. What Madison can do with the ball. What what Kelechi Acho is as a footballer. And then you've got the Barnes and Tete factor. It's, it is unpredictable in a balanced way. And that's what we've needed for an awful long time. It's it's quite strange that we've never... I know we've tried out different wingers on the right, and Tete hasn't certainly cemented that place for a, for a career at Leicester yet, but why we haven't maybe taken more of a risk with other younger players, have you mentioned before in previous podcasts, why not have a young right winger out there? Give him a chance. It makes the side balanced. And if you want to have, I mean, someone like Timothy Castagno can sit behind and go, okay, you can do your stuff in a in a Danny Simpson-esque way. I don't need to now bomb on down the right side. I can just hold fire here, be a bit more solid. Tete or whoever who is an out-and-out winger can stay there with chalk on his boots, as you said, playing a lot further forward. It's interesting to hear Brendan Rodgers' comments after the Spurs game saying the plan was for Tete to go so far forward, really down that right side, stay out wide, Barnes would be the one coming deep to collect the ball and then run at the defence and from the left side. It's it's very, very exciting. He was excellent against Villa. Excellent. Uh, scoring the goal. He seems to be a good lad as well. You mentioned about that work rate. It's fantastic. Good technical player. Wants to run at players all the time. Sometimes it comes off. Sometimes it doesn't. When it comes off, there's your goals. There's your chances. If it doesn't, don't worry. Do it again. Do it again. And then the next time, you've beaten the man. You put the cross in or you've gone and scored. Um, Keep on doing that. Shoot on sight. Why not? Look at the other players. Madison can score from distance. So can Kelechi and Nacho. We've seen Barnes over the years do it. Um, It's that kind of crazy nature of these players that are going to be hopefully scoring the goals for Leicester from now to the end of the season. Those runs almost to the byline and cut back for the likes of Vardy or Adaka, that maybe is kind of out the window at the moment. Um, and so be it. Why not? Why not have this electric football where you just don't quite know what's going to happen? Sometimes I don't think the players do. But as Tete, as a player, a couple of games in, very good. Again, that Villa game was was exceptional but it's it's the option imagine having being James Madison and being able to pass the ball to his left knowing that Barnes is there being supported by Christiansen shouting and waving his arms maniacally if you look at the goal that Barnes scored the one that stood look at 
Christiansen at the bottom of the screen when you see the replay, waving his arms like a madman. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Barnes is moving centrally in a kind of number eight, ten role. And then you've got the left back on the left wing. It's it's fantastic. That's that's what you want to see. Um, and then he can look right, Madison, if he wants, and sees Tete standing out wide. There's the Brazilian winger. Brilliant. There you go. Give it to you. You can go on and try and beat the fullback. It's... It's fantastic. It really it really is looking promising. And then you throw in a guy and what just why not say it, Rob, but we've been saying for bloody ages Kelechi Inacho scores goals. He's a very, very interesting player. The ball will bounce off his knees sometimes. He will stumble through players, but the guy scores goals. He's also a very unselfish player. He seems to enjoy setting up goals a lot more, laying the ball off for a Madison. He's very unselfish at times, but he can score goals from anywhere. He's not this fox-in-the-box player we kind of bought, really. That's what we all kind of thought. He's He is almost a number 10, but he can score from anywhere. That left foot is very... We've seen it. When he went on that purple patch, that incredible run, the, the variety of goals. He's not the worst header of a ball either. And the goal he scored against Tottenham was... I mean, the, the, the Villa goal was good. But the, the, the Spurs goal, that's an excellent finish. That's a guy full of confidence. But also, if you're the centre-halves of a team and you've got Madison and Clecciannaccio slightly deeper, you've got the two wingers bombing on down the wing... You don't know what to do. You can't come out of defence. You can't drop back even further because Madison and Ian Acho are going to run so far forward. And then within 25 yards, they're both excellent from that distance. Really are excellent. Madison has improved no end. And we know Kelechi can hit the target and score from, from distance. So if he wants to hit it hard, that's a cannon of a left foot. And so the, the centre-halves almost don't quite know what to do because they haven't got an, an out-and-out number nine to look after. Um, I know we've been saying for a long time they need to be playing. It will still be for the next fortnight or so. If he carries on scoring goals and he's in the side, fantastic. And the conversation of, or the, the, the statement of, why wasn't he being played earlier than this will always remain. And I've, I will always say that Brendan Rodgers doesn't like him as a footballer. Likes him as a, pla- as, a, as a man. He seems a really good egg. But he doesn't fit the, the Brendan Rodgers idea of how a team plays. And when they play the Brendan Rodgers way, it's fantastic. When it doesn't, it doesn't quite work out. And at the moment, he's kind of almost stumbled upon a system and a team over the last two games that have performed very, very well and scored a lot of goals. He's going to have to play Kelechi and Nacho now after these two performances. And if he doesn't score in the next couple of games, he still has to play. And that's just the way it is. But yeah, we've been banging the Ian Nacho drum for so long. Look what he does, Rob. It's it's his all-round game. He's he's an excellent footballer. Yes, slightly clumsy at times, but so what? We've just been saying about Suter, about how clumsy some of these big defenders can be and some of the why not? Why not have that play? He's almost how Dewsbury Hall is in midfield. The way he clatters into players and it's all action. and It's, it's kind of like that, but in a, in a, in a centre-forward as well or in a, a deep-line centre-forward. You never quite know what he's going to do. 
But what he might do is bend the ball in the bottom left corner from the edge of the penalty area after having the ball what seemed for an age. And what he might do is get two goals and three assists in his last two games when you start him up front. That's well, He might not do that. He, he has done that. There's no might about it. You're absolutely right. We I think listeners to the podcast understand our viewpoint on Iheanacho. However, when you're saying there that if he goes the next few games without a goal, he still has to play, whilst I totally agree with you, you and I both sit here knowing that it's not going to happen. No chance will it happen. He's got Vardy on the bench. He's got Dakar on the bench. There is no way that Brendan Rodgers, having watched his relationship with Iheanacho over the last few years, absolutely no way that he doesn't use the first excuse he possibly can to drop him and then put Dakar or Vardy back in the team. It just happens. And and for me, we've spoken already about the fact that, that at the moment we're not playing to Dakar's strengths uh, and haven't and, and a Brendan Rodgers' team doesn't really play to, to Vardy's strengths. Iheanacho is, whether Rodgers wants to admit it or not or whether he can see it or not, in, in my opinion, obviously I'm not a football manager, in my opinion, Iheanacho is the striker that fits this system because of the reasons that we've outlined in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. He, if you want to play this way, Ian Acho's your man. If you want to play a little bit more direct and put balls in channels and have strikers pushing and stretching the centre-backs, then Dakar or Vardy's your man. Ian Acho, look at him. He, I mean, his, his assists, his goals, his work rate. He looked right at it against Spurs, didn't he? He looked like he... You know, sometimes, I don't think it's ever the case that he doesn't want to be there, but sometimes his body language, because he's quite laid back in his style, he can sometimes look as if he's not totally engaged in the game. He can sometimes look as if he doesn't really want to be there or he kind of shuffles across to do the pressing that he knows he should do. Whereas at, at Spurs, he was he was electric, he was he was intense, he was agile, he was he was right up in the faces when he when he needed to be, you know, when the press was triggered. And I'm hoping that that signifies to Brendan Rodgers, if that is the bit of his game that Rodgers maybe wasn't so sure about, Ian Acho's going, you know what, I've always got goals in me, Rodgers knows that, what's the little bit that he wants me to do that, I, that I'm not doing so much or that I don't look like I'm doing so much? And then he, he goes and turns that on against Spurs because, yes, we scored four goals against Spurs um, and largely defended very well, uh, but... The, the reason that we had the control of the game was because we pressed higher up. We've not really been doing that in the in the poor run of form since the since the World Cup finished. Pressed much higher up, and if that's not led by your, your furthest forward player, your centre forward, who is it led by? It was led by him. He was working nice and hard across the front line, which meant that everybody else behind him was was willing to support that. So he, he had that in his game against Spurs, the question mark now is, for me, if Acho wants to stay in the team, he's got to do that every game whilst continuing to to make sure that he's on the score, the goal scoring and an and assist sheet. Absolutely. It's um, his relationship with Madison is very, very impressive. The little interlinking plays, the little five yard passes, little one twos. They're very they are similar ish in a way in the position that they play, but it's not awkward. It's to a benefit. All this football tends to be in front of the defence as well, like I was saying. And then they'll fasten the shooting opportunity and the defence is, is almost stood there. Oh, right. Oh, okay. You're going to have a shot. Oh, no. You're on the edge of the penalty area. Um, 
it's, it's just it's just very exciting. And again, he still has that ability to when he is in the penalty area, to be that that player that 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 guy in the six yard box in the penalty area who will get on the end of a cross. So you kind of get the all round play. It's it's yeah, he has to play. And guess what? Off the bench, a Jamie Vardy and a Dakar. That's not the worst at all. And if Brendan decides. This is the game where we need a player to stretch the defence as a number nine. Then play him. If Madison, on this form, if Madison for some reason is not playing that game through injury or suspension, because he, he did get booked, um, then you you could make the argument now on this form, Kletchi Nacho can play then alongside a forward, which we've always banged that drum. You can have a number nine down the middle and Kletchi can drop deep to where Madison is, because that's where he's playing anyway. That's his natural position. Just play your natural game. And then you can have the two midfielders. You can have a sitting midfielder if you want and Dewsbury Hall, or you can have maybe Tielemans and Dewsbury Hall and Kaleshi Nacho as the, the other player in that midfield, but he's pushing further forward. I can't see any reason why that can't be the case, especially when he's on this form. Again, when certain players go through... Purple patches is is a is a term obviously banded around, isn't it? But when they're on this sort of form, and you're at an, a certain level of a footballer, sometimes you're unstoppable. Sometimes you will just score goals from anything. You look at Marcus Rashford at the moment, just scoring constantly, and obviously we've got to try and stop that, haven't we? Against the United, if you're a, an elite footballer, if you're right at the top of of football, which when you're playing for a very good Premier League side, then you pretty much are. If you're in really good form, you can feel like you can do anything. And at the moment, that's what Kalechi Nacho feels like. So it's it's absolutely tremendous. Should have happened an awful long time ago. So a brilliant win against Villa. Crazy game, really. Goals flying in left, right and centre. Uh, goals being chalked off behind, coming back. The, the attitude as well. The, we mentioned about the, the new players coming in, what, say, Christensen's done. Surely that has to have an effect on that. You know, going behind in both games, winning by four goals to two and then four goals to one, sounds like you may have just gone from the front and gone two or three up, etc. But it's just not been the case. We've had to come from behind in both games, showing a great attitude. Where the hell has that been? And you have to say that has to be with these new players. They have to have brought that into the side as well as their obvious impact on our on our playing style and and, and scoring the goals. Yeah, you wouldn't have necessarily betted against a team like Villa who have improved under Unai Emery and a team like Spurs who, despite their inconsistencies, will still probably be in and around the mix for the top six, top seven come the end of the season. The the Leicester of even a few weeks ago would have sort of any belief that they'd managed to get into themselves throughout a training week or anybody had got into them in the changing room before the game you know, despite the runner results, even if they'd started to believe then they might get something out of the game, as soon as a, a goal goes in and they go a goal behind, we've seen it over the last month or so. The The shoulders would have slumped a little bit. They wouldn't have been... Uh, brave was a word that Rodgers used. They wouldn't have been anywhere near as brave with the ball, um, taking those chances that, that unlock the, the defences and allow you to score as many goals as, as we have. So it was it was a real collective effort because I've got to say um, although I wasn't able to watch any uh, either of the games live when I was getting the sort of score updates and the times that we went behind 
I just thought, oh, here we go. You know, this. We, how many times have we seen this? This has happened plenty of times before. And because we were really struggling to score goals, you didn't see, even if the players on the pitch thought, you know what, we'll pull up our socks and we'll give this a go. You didn't see how we were going to score a goal. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates open, eight in two games, and it doesn't necessarily matter as much at the moment whether you concede a goal or even two, as, as as was the case against Villa, because it looks like, and we've only got two games of evidence, I know, we're early doors on this particular run of, that we hope will be a, a run of form, but it doesn't matter that much if you make a defensive mistake that leads to a goal because the team believes that they can score more goals than their opponents. Um, I know we kind of brushed it aside a little bit, but the Danny Ward and Timothy Castagna uh, near near miss was um, was really the kind of thing that we've seen more of this season, and and it shows that it's not gone away. It shows that if Leicester are winning games or playing well at the other end, that it kind of papers over those cracks a little bit. But and I'm not just saying this because we are anti Danny Ward on this podcast, but he's facing the entirety of the pitch. Castagna is going back towards his own goal. He's, despite the fact that he's looked over his shoulder, he's not totally sure who's around, what options are on for him. Danny Ward has to be so commanding that he tells Castagna what to do or he comes out and does it for himself. He can't have a little word with him, jog up towards him as Castagna's jogging back towards him, go, oh, Castagna's there, I can't kick the ball, have a sort of half-fake swipe at it. And then Castagna basically trod on the ball and have it bundle out just the wrong side of the post for a, for a corner kick. That can't happen at Premier League level. And that has to come. You know, I'm speaking from experience as a, as a non-Premier League defender. Shock horror, everybody. I'm not an ex-player. But if I'm running towards my own goal, the last thing I want to be doing is making a decision there. I need my goalkeeper to be making that decision. And... If I'm Timothy Castagna and I've not had anything from the keeper, I'm belting that to the nearest touchline that I can, probably off for a throw-in in the right-back area from where Castagna was. He clearly got some kind of mixed message or or not very convincing message. Therefore, he's delayed, delayed, delayed. He's probably looked up and seen Ward coming towards him and thinking, oh, he's going to come and deal with this, whether he said anything or not. And, and it's, honestly, if that, if that goes in, it's... It's an absolute shamble. It's a shambles anyway. It's just very fortunate that it didn't go in. And, you know, Danny. for me, Danny Ward can see the entire pitch. He can see the entire pitch. He's got to deal with that either vocally or by belting the ball. If he has to kick Castagna as well to get that ball away, not bothered. Do something. Don't just... He looked horrendously hesitant, didn't he? He does. It's, it's still the case that when it comes to the summer... If you if you were looking right now, obviously with players to go, etc. But if you're looking right now, it's pretty much the number one priority. Leicester need a brand new goalkeeper. Um, from it could be experience, it could be Everson coming in. Who knows? But they need a new goalkeeper. It's not it's not going to change. We, we've said before, as well as Danny Ward can play in some games, he's never going to be a top 10 Premier League goalkeeper. He might not even be a Premier League first team goalkeeper anyway, but uh, it's it's just what it is now until the end of the season. And again, that's another thing really that we're going to have to obviously discuss and, and see what happens in the summer. Um, I'm getting a bit VAR angsty. 
Rob, am I allowed? Am I, am I all right? Well, we've had just over 50 minutes of very positive conversation and it's turned a bit negative now we've talked about the goalkeeper. So let's just let's continue on this downward spiral, Pete. VAR is all yours. I'm off to pop the kettle on. If you don't fancy a Pete rant or you're not in the mood for one, maybe fast forward a few minutes. Right, OK. VAR needs to be scrapped right now. And when I mean... That's a very easy thing to say for, oh yeah, scrap it, just scrap it. Oh, but they can't do that. Of course they won't do it. The clubs need to come together and they should be phoning around all the chief execs this morning going, let's all sign a letter, all 20 Premier League clubs to say, we don't want this to be used from now on and in its current state. I sent a tweet out and I sent a, a message on Facebook on For Fox Sake and on at FFS Pod saying, what do you think out there? And I've got quite a few responders. I can't see any reason why it's being accepted from the clubs in its current states. And again, in its current states. First of all, why we're having referees use VAR is beyond me. Because VAR is a technical way of working out whether there's an offside or not. The rules of offside for VAR can easily be determined and explained to a team who can literally use a mouse better than a referee who's maybe not computer literate. How Lee Mason, how Mike Dean are using a computer at Stockley Park to work out whether a player is offside or not, I've got no idea why it isn't being used by a team of boffins who actually design the thing. God knows. Um, But also, just in general life, If technology advances and a new product comes out, whether it be headphones, whether it be something to do with a car, anything, right? Oh, wow, it's fantastic. VAR comes out. Oh, look at this. Look at those lines. You can see exactly that he's offside. Oh, okay, fair play. And then something happens a couple of years later where a new set of headphones come out that are completely revolutionary and better. And you go, right, these were good for that two years, but they're now no longer used. They're they're old technology. And this, we've advanced. During the World Cup, we advanced to another level where you had that wall across the pitch where you could see just the elbow poking. Oh, he is offside. Or just the toe. Or actually, he's a yard offside. And it was instant. And it was shown in the grounds. Oh, look, there you go. He's offside. And it was straight away. And, okay, let's use that in the Premier League. The best league in the world. The richest league in the world by a million miles. No, we're not. They're using it in Champions League. That's my argument. Why aren't we we using this better technology? Oh, it costs money to implement in the stadiums. We haven't got that yet. You can't change it halfway through a season. Yeah, you can. Why not? It's better. If it's better, use it now. Um, and then you look at the decisions at the weekend... Has to be the final straw for me. It has to be. The Arsenal decision. What a mess. Oh, we didn't see that player who was playing him on side. They could lose the league now. If they lose the league by two points or so. I mean, it's very easy to point back at that. But what a mess. What an absolute mess. Brighton. Away at Palace. Very similar. Oh, yeah, we're sorry. We didn't see We didn't see that player. What a mess. We've had it at Villa, obviously. Oh, yeah, you know that handball that we were looking at? We looked at the wrong handball, not the one that happened five seconds earlier. We looked at the other one. Hang on, what? that that should have been a, a watershed moment, really, for the football club. And then, of course, on Saturday, you get 
Harvey Barnes. Now, is he offside? His toenail is slightly ahead of the guy in the middle. It looks very dodgy because the line goes straight through his arm and through his sleeve. So you're like, okay, where actually are they measuring to? And then you've got Ben Davis stood behind him. So when the camera zooms in on these two players, it ignores Davis. And then they show the offside. He's offside. Okay. The line goes straight through Davis's shoulder and head. So, well, no, he's not. He's playing onside. He's not even close. He's not even close by the lines on the pitch. Now, I know through my basically what I do for a day job with, with horse racing. When the camera is not directly in line with a photo finish, it can give a slightly different impression. And then you see the photo finish and you go, oh, actually, it's slightly different to what we thought because the camera is not bang in line. So that camera is not bang in line at Leicester. So you, you have to put your hands in the air and go, okay, trust the technology. I, I trust it. It's fine. You draw that line, no problem. But when you miss out a guy at the top of the screen, that's not an angle. That's not basically the picture lying. It's by going by their own lines. It's not fit for purpose. That's the main thing. It is not fit for purpose. The club should sign a letter and say, we're not going to use it. We're going to, we, we don't want it to be used before, for the rest of the season. Bring in the Champions League. If you haven't seen it before and you, and you didn't see it at the World Cup, essentially there is real time. The players on the pitch are being monitored real time. Um, when the ball is being kicked, again, an arbitrary way of looking at it on VAR. When is the ball kicked? When is the pass being made? It's only made by what the referee who's in Stockley Park says. Oh, there's the contact. No, it's used by a chip in the ball. So they literally know when the ball has left the foot of the player. So, oh, there you go. That's exactly a bit like Snicko in cricket when you know exactly there's been a little edge. So they know that the ball has left the player's foot when he passes the ball instantly right there that's when we're going to measure from and then they know instantly where the players are on the field because it's all being monitored by the cameras etc not drawing lines or any nonsense and all of a sudden you see this big wall come across like some saturday night game show on itv all the players you are basically on the field of play and it instantly says there he is there's the big wall of defense and there's the player in front very simple very quick and also very clear to the fans at home and in the stadium. Remarkable. Fans in the stadium knowing what the hell's going on. Not waiting for five minutes for a decision that they have no idea what it is. And then they're not even showed. Oh, it's offside. Okay, who? Where? Show them. It's incredible that we've got to this stage still with VAR. And the fans in the stadium have no idea what's going on. No idea. People say, I'll read out a few of the uh, um, the replies. Um, so Oscar on Facebook, I had the clear impression that Barnes was onside, but quickly shrugged it off. It seemed it would make no difference to the final result. Had it been a decisive episode, though, I'll be fuming now, worth reflecting on your suggestion. Exactly. Barnes then going and scoring the fourth goal is quite ironic, but it didn't make any difference to the game. Could have done. Very fortunate it didn't. And we've seen a thousand different ones as well Arsenal for example and I said that but that was it the Chelsea game what the handball the guy stops a shot from on the ground with his hand from going on target that's a penalty doesn't matter whether his hands in a natural position as a few of my friends you're stopping a shot on target the shot was from 10 yards away 
It's not like he's two yards away and he can't get out of it. That's handball. Again, just remarkable. Um, Mick Reader says, scrapping. Uh, David Conley says, he says an easy solution in his opinion. If they insist on VAR being part of the game, it should only be used at the ref's request. Let the ref make the decisions. If he gets it wrong during the match, then they should face consequences afterwards. Um, after all, there's uh, four officials looking at it. If none of them can see, then tough. Um, VAR, no need, no need to get involved. Uh, ben Roper says, I disagree. Think uh, it'll make it two stop start. Ref needs confirmation too often. Um, make it like tennis when team is allowed to challenge a number of decisions per game uh, with the clock stopped, in his opinion. Let the ref run the game as he sees fit. I, I can see that argument. I don't like the whole challenges. That just seems a bit strange and maybe you'll be challenging decisions when teams are on the counter-attack. And I know it works very well in cricket, but I don't think in football you don't need a the referee the 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 manager holding up a a flag to say I'm challenging the decision. I, no, I, 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 that's not quite football for me. Um, on Twitter, if I bring up Twitter, uh, John O'Tower says uh, one thing to discuss on Barnes disallowed goal. If that had been Spurs and Harry Kane would have been I would have been on side small margins, but eventually add up. Fortunately, it didn't matter on Saturday. But his Spurs are gone to get the next, it makes it 2-3. Again, it didn't matter overall, but it could have easily done. Um, and, it, and he also says, is it the tech or the people applying it? Well, I think it's both. I think it's both. It, how, again, we've got these former referees sitting there going, oh, is this a mouse? Is this how it works? Oh, yeah. Um, have you got Tetris or Minesweeper? It's, I don't understand that. I don't like it in Stockley Park. Have it in the stadiums. Have the VAR officials in the stadiums talking to the referee at all times, helping him out. God knows why that hasn't been done. All these errors on one weekend. What happened in that room? Was there a bug going round? Were they pissed from the night before? Who knows? They're locked away. All these errors in one day. Three o'clock kickoffs at Sellers Park, at King Power, at Arsenal, all three o'clock. What what was that about? Why were there all these errors made on these three o'clock games? What happened on Saturday? That that needs investigating. Um, Trevor says I'd scrap all the interference. Oh, let's say scrap all the interference and let the ref decision stick. Um, let's sing some of the old songs again. Lambast the man in the middle again. It's no better now. So let's go back to being able to blame the ref and accept um, being cheated. But at least we can celebrate goals. Yeah. So he's gone for scrap the whole thing. Um, I think we're kind of probably beyond that now as in scrap the whole thing and never use VAR again. But I, again, use this, if it's done, in a way where undisputably he's offside. Okay, fine. He's offside. Job done. But if you can do it instantly, at least you can stop that celebration. Barnes scores, runs towards the corner flag, but he's only gone 10 metres and the referee's already got his hand in the air. He's already been told because his, ref, his watch has gone red, offside. He's got his hand in the air, he's blown up, literally... Three seconds after the goal's gone in, or two seconds, like the ball's gone over the line, that quick, that quick. That's what we need. And then Glenn the Foxhall, the last point really, aren't all the European leagues using this World Cup technology? I'm sure I saw the funky offside graphic somewhere since the World Cup, but yes, bring it in. Exactly. If it's better, use it now, and it's only going to get better to the point of the ball goes in the back of the net. And again, within a second or two, we know he's offside. The referee puts his hand in the air, blows her offside. And if they then want to have 10 seconds of grace to just double check there wasn't a double pass or it was from another player, etc., 
then okay. If it's a really awkward pinball situation, then take 30 seconds to work it out. But at the current time, it's not fit for purpose. Get rid. Why would you use an old mobile phone that can no longer use modern day apps? You update it, upgrade. And that's what they need to do. But for now, not what happened on Saturday. Something went on, definitely. We welcome back listeners post uh, VAR rant. <laughs> <laughs> if you've been sat through the last 10 minutes of that, fair play to you. We uh, we appreciate it. Uh, I can't even begin to, to pick apart what you've said. And, and I think largely uh, I agree with your opinions and your, your feelings towards VAR. I think, um, yes, the system does need updating, but it's not from this weekend at least it's not the main issue because you've got three individuals who've made mistakes that the the technology hasn't made the mistake doesn't make things easy for them i i appreciate that and this the the world cup and champions league system would take some of that user error out of their hands but they are human mistakes that have been made this weekend and i'll I tell you what I'm going to flip it around to a little bit more of a positive as we as we draw this episode to a close. That um, the PGMOL or whatever you want to call them, the the officials group, uh, they have contacted the clubs who have had their results affected by VAR mistakes this weekend um, and accepted accountability for them. Yes, they shouldn't have happened in the first place, and whatever needs to happen needs to happen to to change that, but. Howard Webb has also only been in charge of the referees now for a month. And I think he is already done more in that month to show that he is willing to listen to all parties, that he is willing to make decisions um, based on what's happened. Uh, And I think once he gets his feet properly under the table, he will surely be pushing for for these decisions like you said about the, the about the improvement in the technology to to be brought into the Premier League as soon as possible uh, he's already removed John Brooks from VAR duty for for the next couple of games that he was supposed to be on uh, this week based on what happened at the weekend so he's clearly making decisions straight away there's there's a few different suggestions as to if you are needing to use this software for whatever period of time, because the Premier League, believe it or not, hasn't got enough money to implement it yet, right? Um, and and that's changing, as you said, the people that are operating the software, right? Have a referee in the room at Stockley Park, fine. I mean, I'd rather it be at the stadium, just like UP. I'd rather them be able to watch in real time as well, but that, you know, that technology and, and, and such. But have the referee in the room to apply the, the law book, but have somebody, and, and I'm sure they do have technical support in there, but have somebody, maybe even somebody else who's a qualified referee, but is not necessarily the elite Premier League kind of referee, but somebody, like you say, of an age and of a generation that can use the technology. Because if you if you look at it, right, my grandma's got a smartphone. She's 80 this year. I've got a smartphone. No, no granted, mine's better than hers in terms of it's got, better sort of range of functions on it but ultimately she can access the internet on hers like i can mine she can message me on whatsapp she can 
look up the when her favourite actor died because she's watching one of them old films. I don't know. She can do whatever she wants on it. But I can use it way more efficiently and I can do more with it. And I think that's that's the argument that you're making with the with the personnel that are in charge of the system. Um, because at the moment, all it's done is put even more pressure on match officials than, than they were under before we even thought VAR was possible. And it's taken away the control of the referee in the middle, who, by the way, is not the person making these mistakes. It's it's another referee who is sat not using the technology effectively and is therefore having a directly negative impact on on proceedings. Now, if they come out and say we can't change the system mid-season because it won't be fair and all the results that have happened before, I would call absolute bullcrap on that because if you look at matches in the in the FA Cup, right, that have got VAR, it's only the Premier League ones that have or only the ones at certain stadiums. You've got a, a Premier League... A, sorry, an FA Cup match at a lower league ground, they can't uh, put the, install the technology for VAR. So you're telling me that matches in the same round of the same competition, some of them have got VAR, some of them haven't, and you're telling me you think that's fair enough, then surely it's fair enough to say to everybody in game week, whatever, 20-something, all right, UEFA and FIFA have given us permission to use this technology we've we've got the chance to roll it out we're gonna do it and here it is at this stage of the season for everybody surely that's equally as well I don't think it's fair that the fact that some games have got VAR and some haven't in the FA Cup but surely it's on the same level of fairness as that and therefore it should and could happen yep absolutely it's it's just mind-blowing I never want the referee to be um, having to stop games because of challenges, I don't. That's just not football. I don't want the referee not to be able to give decisions on penalties or on uh, fouls, just in general play. I always thought the the games progressed so quick and so fast over the last say ten, fifteen years that there should be two. There should be two referees, one for each half. And if there's a decision in the centre of the field, one gives it, one doesn't, then it's given. It's fine. You know, one can see it from one angle, one angle or the other. And then he can be talking to defenders and attackers whilst the ball's at the other end of the field. Keeping up with play, It, you know, why, why not have that? But just on this technology, it's just old hat now. It's It seems incredible because it's only been a few years. It's old hat. It doesn't work in a lot of cases. And when mistakes are made... It's glaring errors, human errors. It's not VR, it's human errors. But you can't have human errors of the extent that we've had in one day. That was incredible. And again, very, very odd. And it's just, again, it's just not fit for purpose. We've had it. This, what you said about um, about the um, Howard Webb then, you know, apologising to the clubs. Great. But should it happen in the first place? Obviously not. Has he done that before? Yes, this isn't the first time already. And you know, he must be, well, not pulling his hair out because he ain't got any, but he should be, he must have been looking around going, this is just a complete mess. Um, and also, if you want a um, a fundamental refereeing error, which we all love and we're all going to, you know, you always moan about and that's the conversation in the pub and in the stands, a referee making a bad error. Just have a look at the sending off for Wolves on Saturday at at St Mary's. Um Lamina's sending off. That is outstanding. That's unbelievable. If that was a Leicester player, we would have probably spoke about nothing but that in the podcast. If you haven't seen it, 
Go and take another look. Second yellow card after about 27 minutes. First one stood on the guy's Achilles on the edge of the penalty area after about five minutes. Okay. And the second one, three players converge on the referee to complain about a tackle. And when I mean converge, they went over to the referee. They didn't get in his face or, you know, anything like that. And the two players got there pretty quickly. And then the third player jogging in behind was pointed at and said, you know, you can't come over here and gives a yellow card to him and sends him off. It's quite incredible. It's, but there you go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the guy who actually uncovered about the, you know, the, the, the guy, uh, all the offside decisions was the sharp end, was James Sharp actually working for the Mail, used to be with the, the Daily Mail, uh, used to be with the um, Leicester Mercury. But I just wonder, Rob, whether in the next few days, it, here's my, something might have happened at Stockley Park on Saturday. Surely, you know, I'm not, I'm not, going conspiracy theory mad here like you know there's some conspiracy no 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 whether there was a a power cut or there was a problem with the software even or something it just seemed odd the way the cameras were zooming into certain areas of the pitch and not others and for all of the 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 errors that were made and also the amount of time taken over these decisions it has been a long time this was extraordinary. This was the longest it's ever taken. And I don't know whether there was a, a breakdown in the technology or something, but there has to be a reason why all these errors were made in one day for kickoffs at the same time. But but there you go. That's that's the that's what we've got. Bring in this new technology because fortunately it didn't matter with Leicester. It's a shame because it was a lovely goal. But uh, yeah, not fit for purpose. As we look, Rob, to the final game, or the next game, should I say, uh, for Leicester, it's this difficult run of games, but you're now looking forward to it, aren't you? You're looking forward to what, what we can do. You know, you were essentially saying that Leicester can't really beat teams anymore in the current form. You know, you look going to games thinking, we're going to get a hide in here. We've got no real chance. It's, you know, dreading the games. Now, bring it on. We're slightly more comfortable in the league, even though we're not too far away from the drop zone. But You've got a game against Manchester United away at Old Trafford who are absolutely flying, arguably the most informed team in the country. But this is sandwiched in between two games against Barcelona in the Europa League. So where did the priorities of Manchester United lead? They've got some good youngsters. That Gonacho looks a really excellent player. And they've got arguably the most informed player in the Premier League at the moment in Marcus Rashford, just narrowly ahead of Kelechi and Nacho. Difficult game. I would love for Leicester to do what they did at Villa and just go for it. Go with the attack inside and take the game to United and maybe catch them cold, maybe catch them slightly off their game because their attention is against Barcelona or maybe they've changed the side slightly and you know it's uh, not quite as settled for the first 10 or 15 minutes. I'd like to see them really go for the game. I can't see them, for one, playing without Mendy. If Tielemans is fully fit, then yes... That's going to be awkward, but I can more than likely see them going with the same starting lineup as they had against Tottenham and saying to Yuri Tillemans, "Look, you've had this knock. Get on, stay on the bench, and then you can come on in the game situation of whatever it is because he's such a good player, you know, for winning, losing, whatever." So I think they just go with that team against Tottenham, the disruptive midfield of Mendy, of Kinnanjus Hall, and then the rest of the side as it was. I would agree because I think you're right in that Manchester United won't be 
at their at full strength in the sense that it's the the eleven that Ten Hag would pick if there was no other game either side of it. Um, you know, you look at the, t- the the team that they put out against Leeds yesterday that didn't have Varane or Martinez starting at centre back. Now, I don't uh, I don't look at United's post pre and post match conferences press conferences really because I'm not that bothered, but. I don't know if there were little niggly injuries or, or whatever, but it's unlikely he starts Maguire and Shaw as the centre-backs unless he's trying to make sure that Varane and Martinez are fit for Barcelona on Thursday. Um, and then you've obviously got the added bonus from a Leicester point of view that the, the first leg against Barcelona's away. Uh, not that far to travel, obviously. It's not quite like heading to sort of the east eastern ends of Europe, but it's still a trip. You know, they'll they'll get back Friday sometime and then Sunday's the game against Leicester. So it's a good time to play them, if there ever was one. Not in terms of the form in the Premier League, because as you said, that's very, very strong. And not in terms of Marcus Rashford's form, because that's also frighteningly strong. And you're looking at the the side of the field that he's going to be going down and you're thinking, right, Ricardo's surely not going to come in for his first start against Rashford, who's playing in off the left-hand side. But you might want to consider swapping Suter and Fass in terms of who plays on the right side of the of the two centre-backs. And I'm thinking of that because Suter could go 1v1 versus Wout Weghorst and I am very confident that he'd be able to, he'd be absolutely fine against him because... You know, Vegost has been brought in as a as a focal point uh, for the attack. Fair enough, uh, and he's going to score a, a handful of goals here and there, uh, no problem. But you get somebody six foot six against him, and you nullify large parts of his threat there because you've basically got the same player in defensive or attacking form, and that would free Fass up to double up with Castagna where necessary. To, to keep an eye on Rashford drifting in from that from the left hand side. Um you've obviously got other quality players coming through the middle of the field like Fernandez, you know. Um they're they're a good side across the board and I think Ten Hag has done really well to come in and stick to his principles. But you look at the Leicester team, as we said pre- previously, one enforced change against Spurs. You go for the same team that played against Spurs and I'm just looking at the, the full Premier League table in terms of goals scored, etc. We've only scored two fewer goals than Manchester United this season. We've got 36 goals, they've got 38. Admittedly, we've conceded 10 more. But, you know, if you're looking for a, a game where you might be able to outscore a team, then why not United? Because we've we've got 36 goals in 22 games, Leicester. Our problem's shipping them at the other end, but if United are not exactly sort of super free scoring, you know, Spurs have scored more than them, Brighton have, Arsenal have, Man City have. Yes, they've got quality attacking players, but so have we, and we've clearly shown that in the last two games. So let's go and have another 4-3. Let's go and outscore them, because we're probably not going to keep a clean sheet, let's be honest. No, it's going to be very difficult. Um, What is your prediction then, Rob? I'll let you go first. Oh, let's see. I would, if we're going for goals, 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 and we're hoping that Leicester can string together a a, a reasonable unbeaten run, I'm going to go for 2-2. 
Ooh, 2-2. Two, two. Now, I thought you were going to say my scoreline. I'm going for a 2-1 away win. Why not? Be brave. Um, in the form we're in, I, I can't see them not scoring. I, I, and it's going to be... Um, it's going to be Rashford, isn't it? So I hope so. From fantasy football point of view, I hope it's him. Well, fantasy team, it's. Uh, I, I suppose we should really do the rundown, and we well, we are midway through a um, a league. Uh, sorry, a week, aren't we? Um, I had a good week last week, but a- yeah, so it'd be a bit tough. But all all the listeners really need to know is that I am now single digits points behind you. I am bearing down very oh, quickly. Right, yeah, I've friend. not had a good week this week. Uh, Fifty six points. Uh, uh, sorry, 56 place. Um, not, not too many points. Um, I dropped one of my headphones. Uh, top of the league at the moment as we stand are, well, actually, top of the league, we have joint top. Vardy Annuals is actually on top, Joe Healy. Uh, Aaron Gulati with uh, Team Dalek, both on 1,452 points as we speak, four points behind uh, Tom uh, Strangeboard. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, or Strangwood, should I say? Bafana Rama, one thousand four hundred and forty-eight points, one point further back. In fact, this is extraordinary, really. Just look. I mean, I know it's obviously the top ten, but um, there's not many points at all. What twenty-three points split in the top ten players? Tenth uh, place, Glasgow Celtic. Uh, Liam Squires, 1,429. Ninth place, FC Bobby Dazzlers, Paul Towers with 1,433. Ryan Gallagher in eighth place, Amati Party, 1,441. Ash Taylor, 1,443 in seventh with Taylor Made. In sixth, 1,445 with TBGFC. Uh, and then the top five, back in the netto, Adam Wise, 1,447. 1,447 in fourth is Jack R. Emerson Blues. 1,448 for Tom uh, Strangward with Fafana Rama. And then four points further for the Vardy Annuals and Team Dalek. That's incredible, really. So uh, the top 10 is uh, very, very tight. I'm down, again, as I said, in 56th place. Not having a good week this week and about 100 points off the lead. And yeah, you're uh, catching up. I had my triple captain last week, which worked out with with Rashford but um this week uh, it's not been uh, not been too good uh but there we go we'll have to see what happens uh, with the midweek game between Arsenal and Man City looking forward to that uh so 2-2 or 2-1 we'll take that definitely in our game against United we'll see whether anything happens from uh, VAR uh, anything else to report Rob or any final thoughts no I think we've uh, summarized it very nicely in what is probably slightly longer than usual but We'll we'll take that because we scored eight goals and we missed a podcast last week. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we'll be back soon, hopefully on the back of a, a very good win at Old Trafford, hopefully before the game then against Arsenal. But for now, let's just enjoy this uh, upturning performance and, and celebrate the way that we're playing with Madison on fire and that man Kaleshi. Who would have thought Kaleshi Nacho scores goals? Mm-hmm. 